Hi, I'm Peter Harper, the Managing Director and CEO of Asina Advisors, and this is the Three Pillars Podcast. The objective of the Three Pillars Podcast is to shine a light on the value of a family office and how it can perpetuate wealth creation, preservation, and education, and the value of being purpose-driven. joining me again uh, for the next episode of the Three Pillars podcast. And today, um, we're going to talk about a topic that's very, very dear to my heart because it's, it's something that, you know, within our business, we, we spend a lot of time on. Um, and that is what we like to call complex administration. And um, in light of this, rather than me running this and interviewing someone else, I've asked, I've asked my uh, a friend and partner, Thor Conklin, to join join me again today. Um, uh, Thor was on a previous podcast um, with us where we were talking about, you know, accountability and why it's such a critical component of a successful family office. Um, and, you know, today we're going to talk about, as I said, complex admin with, a, with a, a key item of you know, more money, more problems. So Thor, thanks, uh, thanks for joining us. Peter, thanks for uh, having me. Um, you know, this is an area that you were so passionate about and I would really like to start with, why do you find this topic so interesting? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. I, I think it's because, um, you know, I, I've, I've seen many times uh, you know, a situation where a uh, uh, successful um, entrepreneur is staring down the barrel of a big exit. And I've had a discussion, I've had a dialogue with um, with them maybe six months out from a transaction where, where I've tried to explain, uh, you know, the level in which their personal life or their family life is going to get, you know, increasingly more complex, you know, when they sell their business. And, and um, it's often the case that that you know that, that for whatever reason, whether you know they're caught up in the day to day of the business or there or there's a lot of work going on with the actual you know the transaction around selling their business that you know that they don't necessarily have the headspace to really you know figure that out, and um, and I think it's a major risk point. So you know what what we see is um, you know liquidity events happening, uh, you know. People all of a sudden, entrepreneurs all of a sudden having, you know, big chunk of cash through accelerated cash flow and throwing the rule book out the window as far as, you know, what they should spend money on and not spend money on and, and making some very substantial capital purchases post-liquidity event that, that not only erodes the capital base of the family, but adds a huge, a lot of complexity to how, you know, the family needs to manage their assets, you know, so things like planes, boats, um, you know, second, third, fourth homes. I think the reason why I've become so passionate about it is that, you know, you know me, Thor, I'm always trying to be very intentional about everything that I do and I try and talk to my clients about that is just making sure that they're aware of, you know, hey, listen, if we're going to going to take this next step and, and add all this operational complexity to, to our family, you know, let's make sure that we have the right support and right people assisting us to manage it so it's not a major compliance headache um, you know, once that happens. And there is a lot of compliance to it. And, and one of the mistakes that I see is that you've got an entrepreneur running an organization 
and they think, hey, once I have more money, once I don't have to run the business anymore, things are just going to get easier. They now start to get more complicated, and you start to play in an arena that is different than you've played in before. What are some of the issues that you see that come up? Uh, I think the, um, the single biggest issue is, is folks understanding their risk profile because it, it changes dramatically, right? I mean, in a whole bunch of different different uh, facets of their life and it happens really quickly, right? So I think the biggest thing is if you're someone who's worth, you know, two to five million, right? So you, so you, you know, within America, you're probably up, up, up a middle class, right? Or middle class. And then all of a sudden you transition to 50 to hundred million overnight. Um, you've got a lot more to lose. So my risk profile, when I'm entering a transaction, whether, no matter what it is, Right, or how I'm engaging with folks is very different for someone at that net worth level of you know two to five than it is for that person at 50 or 100. And so you know the, I think that when we think about these things, okay, how do we de-risk that process when you've escalated the risk points in your in your sort of asset base very quickly? If you haven't necessarily had the time to work out, okay, where are all these uh, these pressure points or risk points? You know. Um, you know, we try and compress that and whether it's insurable risk, investment risk, relationship risk, um, we try and work with folks to get their heads around that as, as quickly as possible. And, and what I've noticed is as wealth increases, uh, not only the complexity increases, but it seems like things get very easily scattered about. Uh, many clients that I've worked with um, have forgotten about assets, accounts, uh, and, and various things. It, it, you've got a bigger area to kind of get your hands around. And I know this is one of the reasons why you created and started doing the kind of work that you're doing. What are some of the things that you found out there with clients that um, in helping them get their hands around it and manage it? Because that's really at the core of what you're doing here. No, sure. I mean, I mean part of this is not necessarily um, complex, right? It's, it's like understanding size and scale of any any issue right so it is you know there's more assets there's more transactions there's more stakeholders so i think that we've talked about in the past when someone transitions from you know being heavily focused to their business in their business where there might be a whole bunch of stakeholders you know they're across the metrics across who's important yeah when you transition that and compress through a liquidity event where you're shifting all the capital out of that model into the family unit all of a sudden you've got all these stakeholders that uh you know in the in the storyline that you know, have no connection to the business but are relevant stakeholders nonetheless right because there's, there's been this major transition of, of um of capital so i think um you know when we think about why it's important to get focused around that it's really about that you know, and everything comes down to measuring success. How do you measure success and how do the clients know that they're getting their needs met? What sort of metrics do you put around this? We start out, you know, again, going from a situation where, um, you know, there may not have been any sort of family order around, um, around the family office at the start, uh, you know, prior to a liquidity event to all of a sudden we're saying, hey, we're going to put a whole rule book around the families that we start with. Your vision, values, mission statement of the family, 
governance, working out what the rules are, you know, and then really like all things, modeling it, you know, is there enough money that exists that no matter how much they spend, they can't really do any damage to the family legacy. Um, uh, it, it, you know, it's, 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 it's a same approach in business. The more structure you put around things in order to ensure there's not, we're not taking on substantial risk, right? Or we're not exposing the family to, you know, to some other issue as a result of what we're doing, whether it's buying, um, some form of depreciable asset that, you know, you've had no experience owning in the past and, and you don't necessarily have the skills to acquire the asset, manage it, you know, insure it and within the family, make sure that there's, you know, a clear set of rules around how the, the, the assets managed. I think they're the points of focus, right? And, and when you've got families that are expanded over multiple generations, um, you know, that element's even more complex. So, okay, we've got an asset that might've existed with the family for, you know, multiple generations and everyone still wants to utilize the asset. How are those things managed in such a way that, um, that, you know, the, the families are being taken advantage of and, you know, no one's wasting money. You know, it's, it's interesting because I, I see, and I would love to have your take on this. Do you find when, um, someone has an event, their assets expand, do you find that they, spend less attention on it because there's more out there and it doesn't matter that the, the dollars and cents uh, are kind of rounding errors now, or do you find them to get more focused or is it more of a lackadaisical, Hey, there's plenty there. I'm not really as focused on the dollars and the cents. I mean, I think it really depends on the individual. I think if someone's been cost conscious and, you know, and thrifty their entire life, you know, they'll, they'll get the liquidity event and they'll be, they'll be penny pitching because they'll, they'll be like, this is, this might be the only event I ever have. And, and folks that have, you know, always been liberal spenders will be um, probably at risk of, you know, of spending all the money. I think the, <laughs> there, there is a tr very much a truth to that. But I think the, the single most important factor is that a lot of entrepreneurs think they are serial entrepreneurs, right? Mm -hmm. Because if they've had one business that they've ideated or they've been a founder of um, and they've continued to grow that successfully that they think, okay, well, I sell that, I liquidate that, I can move into something else and do it again. And it's just not the case. I mean, in my experience, um, folks that are serial entrepreneurs that can do it again and again, you know, someone like an Elon Musk across multiple industries, whatever, they're really, really unique people. Yeah. Right? So... Um, you know, we try and have that discussion up front and really get people to own that and say, do you think this is your one and only liquidity event? That's a factor of a lot of things, right? You know, what's your track record in the past? What age are you when you're selling? And then, you know, we, I, we try and peel it back from there. Right? You've had this acceleration of cash flow. You've had this liquidity event. Let's try and put some rules around, you know, buckets of capital, capital that can be allocated to depreciating assets where you're going to lose money, capital that we call neutral expenses where sure, maybe they're, they're, there's no cash flow being generated, but maybe there's an ability to appreciate value and then capital that's actually assigned to grow wealth, right? Um, I think provided they get their head around that, you know, my experience is they can, you know, break a cycle, but 
I think that's the, the, the biggest thing around this is folks that have been in profitable businesses that have been making a lot of money and they've all of a sudden, they've taken away the cash flow. Um, a liquidity event's not always the best, best outcome for them. You know, really what I hear you saying is focusing on this and attacking this in the same way you would a business. Come up with an operating procedure for the entity, for the family. Uh, come up with the rules, uh, the regulations, come up with the strategy, come up with the game plan, come up with the, the budgeting. It's really like running a business, but forming the family business. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the, the admin side, the complex admin really just fits within the operational bucket. You'd even break it down into the people, compare it to the people bucket of, of any business, right? You've got, you know, the stakeholders within the, the family are the, you know, the participants that, you know, direct family participants that are going to benefit from, um, you know, the careful deployment of capital and, and use of, use of funds. So, um, it's, you know, how do you manage the dynamics? I mean, same thing. How do you manage the dynamics within a workforce to ensure that they're happy yeah. and they're motivated um, to, you know, grow the business and create a good work environment? Same thing within the family. How do you incentivize the family to make sure they care about, um, they care about, uh, you know, retaining capital rather than blowing it on simple things and, and, and really respecting the legacy that, you know, the, the original um, founder, um, you know, may have provided to the rest of the family as far as, you know, access to various assets that, that, you know, they may not have otherwise had access to or, or experiences or education that they may not have otherwise had, had, had access to. It almost sounds like taking the chief operating officer, taking the CFO and general counsel, putting those all together. And that's really what you're doing on an outsourced basis for them, having them remain as the chairman of the board. And then really all the operational pieces uh, and the risk management pieces would be offloaded to you. Yeah, it's hundred percent weird. I mean, yeah, the only major difference is you've got family dynamics on top of that. <laughs> <laughs> and those add, never enter in, do they? No, no, which can add a bit of crazy to it. But, but I think that's why we actually call it complex admin because the complexity can be driven by a number of different factors, whether it's, you know, geographic complexity because family are scattered around the world or, or there's assets around the world, or it's complexity because, you know, they're not only are you trying to execute on a plan, but you're trying to deal with, you know, family personalities or interactions that, um, that you wouldn't otherwise have to deal with in a, in a business setting. And having the knowledge, and this is what I think is so important here, Peter, is you've been there, you've seen these family dynamics. I get to see some of these family dynamics as well with some of my clients. It's so important that you address some of these things up front so you don't end up causing a disaster within the family just because you started to add zeros to the net worth. And money will accelerate those issues. And if you can deal with them and you have a knowledgeable advisor up front to help you navigate that so you don't make those mistakes, I think that's invaluable. Yeah, listen, I, I agree. I mean, I think it takes it takes the transition or the pending transition before people start to understand why um, this is such a critical component of a, of a successful family um, of, of significant means. Um, and you know, per, I think we might have touched on this in the last last time we caught up. Is that if um, you know 
a lot of a lot of folks might sit there and say, "Hey, this is overkill. I don't need this. I got a, I got a strong relationship with the you know financial advisor or an attorney or whatever else, and the you know the entrepreneurial spirit that got me to where I am. You know, I can run my life in the same way with one or two sidekicks." Um, I think the you know the biggest sort of pushback I'd sort of put on that is that, that is true. However, if you want your family and future generations to actually engage in your vision and your legacy and you want your wealth to last more than your lifetime for a longer period than your lifetime, um, then you need to get your family engaged and, you know, they're not going to get engaged and buy into your vision and your mission if, uh, if you don't appropriate things where you can include them. And, you know, in my experience, the only way to do that is to build a prop, proper experienced team around you that can facilitate, you know, the delegation of responsibilities um, and key tasks within the family unit to our family members. Yeah, and you got one entity that's tying all those advisors together and making sure that everyone's reading off the same page. Yeah. Um, I, I know in my um, personal experience, my ex uh, is due to inherit quite a large uh, real estate um, portfolio her and her sister and her brother happens to run the businesses that are on those um, those lands and my ex-father-in-law actually put the uh, properties the, the additional the rents that are going to be charged in the future in the girls hands so now the girls are going to be setting the rates the brother is going to be the one paying the um, the fare on that I said you're setting up a family dynamic that is going to cause rift immediately within that family these people are going to be at each other's throats because one's going to want the low rent on the on the land and then the others are going to want the highest rent it's such a dynamic that's and and knowing the dynamic personally it's just going to boil over simple little things like that where you think you're doing a great thing boy gets the business the girls get the land everybody should be happy well you just turned the the boy's uh, business the landlord's his sister and listen, there probably was a whole lot of thought put into that dynamic, right? But, but again, um, it, it's, it, it seems fair, a bit of cross-purpose. And, you know, I, I think that's why in many ways where you have legacy assets that you're expecting people to maintain, you know, on a go-forward basis rather than just liquidity, right? Liquidity can be managed and, and produce cash flow and you can distribute that easily amongst the family and create purpose. But when you've got legacy assets... It's infinitely more complex, right? It's, it's often overlooked and, and broken down purely into, in, hey, this seems like it's a fair economic outcome. So, Peter, how do the listeners address this complexity? Because we just, we just touched on a couple of the complexities. There, this thing goes much, much deeper. I know you have the three pillars. Um, how do they address this complexity? And, and specifically, what do you do to help address those? Well, listen, I think, as I said earlier, it comes with a very clear plan. You know, our preference is sort of 12 months prior to a liquidity event to be engaging with the family and preparing them for the, you know, the changes that are about to, about to happen. What that looks like is building out, you know, governance framework for a future family. What does the legal structure look like? You know, what is the rule book? What, is the, what has to change and evolve with the estate plan? Um, you know, what has to change and evolve with insurance, insurance needs, um, uh, and, and, you know, integrating any of this with whoever's going to be the, you know, the, the financial um, advisor uh, for, for the family. Um, 
you know, so that we have a very clear framework around, you know, what we view as the, as the complex administrative risks to the long-term um, achievement of the family's goal when it comes to their ultimately, ultimate objective around legacy, right? Because when you break down the stuff that I'm, that I'm talking about, right, where, where it comes to it's, it's yeah, I, I, and the reason why I'm actually so passionate about it, this idea of the, the administration, operational administration of a family office um, ties into pretty much every other part of the family. It has an impact on the you know, financial plan and the annual um, budgets for the family, right? It has an impact on how it integrates with, you know, the mission uh, of the family and, you know, the key uh, integration pieces for various family members, right? Um, and so, you know, we, we start with that planning prior to the liquidity event, and then we look within the family and say, okay, is there enough liquidity to justify a full C-suite? Like, so we build, we're building out a full operational team with, for the family because they, they require that, right? And, and some families do, depending on size and you know, the type of assets they want to acquire post-liquidity event. Or do we think we, we can outsource certain components of that? And, and, you know, so if some folks will come to us and say, hey, guys, we want you to act as the outsource CFO, uh, for the family, outsource general counsel. So we're managing all the, you know, legal negotiations associated with, you know, family assets. Um, uh, and, and, you know, sort of control the stuff like bill payment and, 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 and that type of stuff as well. So making that key decision, are we going to do this in-house or are we going to, are we going to outsource it? And what I, what I really like about your approach to this is it's a whole family approach. It's not just going to the leader of the family, the person having a liquidity event, but it's really involving the entire family and doing this as a team, just like you would in an organization or a business. What level of a, a liquidity event or net worth uh, would people need in order to qualify for these types of uh, services? Where, where's the starting point? Well, listen, I think the, you know, we break down the, um, the financial planning side of what we do. I think that can really work from it for anyone as, as little as probably a $5 million exit. Normally, with, in my experience, you, you, you talk about what's, what's called a multifamily office, which is someone who hasn't had a big enough liquidity event where they have a full C-suite, right? When, and when you've had a massive liquidity event, so you might be talking, you know, net attacks, you know, 250 million up, um, uh, they might actually say, okay, we're going to spend the money um, to have a full C-suite. So, um, you know, I think really it's probably as, as little as 5 million if you're just looking for someone to help you with financial support for your family. But if you're looking for the full suite of services, it's probably somewhere between 30 to 50 million. Okay. Terrific. Well, Peter, I really appreciate uh, you having me on. I appreciate you being here and uh, kind of giving us some insights as to, uh, to what you're doing and how it helps the uh, family dynamics. So thank you. And Thor, thanks very much for joining me and, uh, and running the interview. I really appreciate it. Always my pleasure. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. Bye.
That was another episode of the Three Pillars podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. You can find more information about our firm at asceneradvisors.com. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter for frequent updates and weekly blogs. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast whenever you're listening and check in every Wednesday for another episode. This has been the Three Pillars podcast.